Welcome to Simple Theology, a podcast connecting theology to everyday life by examining various doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm Robert Kane. And I'm Rick Gromlick. Dude, you said it you said it without being facetious, without messing around. I've been doing that a lot. You go, man. I've been doing that. Good for you. So today So I'm Rick and this is Rob. Yeah, that's right. So today we are getting into a very (laughs) controversial topic um, of complementarianism. That's right. Rob's from Ireland. You'll figure that out yeah. as we get in. <laughs> we are true. talking about complementarianism, um, gender roles in the church and in the family. Obviously, this is a very sensitive thing culturally, but we believe Scripture does speak on this clearly. It's our final authority. So please tune in, and hopefully we are informative and encouraging. doing rob i'm doing well man. yeah look good how are you doing you look good too it's good to be recording in person mm. rick where are we we are in the um world headquarters the executive suite of the world headquarters <laughs> for citizens church international <laughs> oh, um make so, it sounds like sound like we're multi-campus which we are not I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure that you are you guys have this campus here then you have your sunday morning have campus <laughs> <laughs> so, so we are finally recording in person again, which has been a while, uh, which is good. Um, it's a nice afternoon on it a is. Monday. Snowy afternoon, but yeah. the snow's going away. That's right. It's melting. So yeah, this is what we're doing. Exciting. Rob, uh, the church has an office space in Westerville, and we're able to pop in here and throw up the mics and do a quick episode. Yeah. So if you hear some background noise, people chit- chit-chatting, talking, um, those are not people from the church they're just people who are also sharing the office yes, building so, so we're in like a um, it, it's kind of like a co-working space i mean mm-hmm. there is some co-working space but it's mostly office suites that are just mm-hmm. all over the place and so i've worked in a co-working space before yeah. where there's more open space um that more people can work yeah next to each other they can co-work uh, mm. um and there's some office spaces but this space is less open space and just more office spaces so we have we have a nice size office, and mm-hmm. I say nice size. It's like it's like thirty by forty. <laughs> no, nice. An, um, it's like real um, nice couch, pool table. Yeah, jacuzzi on the patio. That'd be nice. It's about. It's a little smaller than twelve by twelve room. Mm-hmm. So, um, but you could, you could throw a uh, cotton here and sleep in here easy if you needed to. I, yeah, actually could. So, not that I plan on doing that, but you could. Um, Do they have but, showers on the premises? Here? No. Ah. No. But, but what I'm trying to say oh, sorry, sorry. is that if you hear people, it's because we got a spot that we intentionally tried to be kind of like next to the hustle and bustle of things so that mm. we could meet people. Yeah. This office suite is in Westerville. We're a church in Westerville. We wanted to meet people in the community. And so yeah. we intentionally did not get an office like upstairs and way off into the corner. corner. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So Bed Bath and Beyond, it's, we're, not, we're not in the beyond. Mm. We're in the bed bath area. Bed bath, yeah. But there's okay. no bed or bath. Okay. All right. That, yep. was, that was nice. That was <laughs> perfect, perfect explanation. Cool. That's cool, bro. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. So speaking of bed bath and beyond. <laughs> what? How are you going to transition that? <laughs> um, I Let's don't know. see it. Let's see it. Yeah. So speaking of bed bath and beyond, mm-hmm. if you go into that store, um, it's a bit overwhelming. Stuff is stacked floor to ceiling. It's true. Everywhere you look, you need everything. It's it, it's a lot to take Still in. wondering how you're going to do this. 
<laughs> you hold on. So um, today we're going <laughs> to we're going to talk about uh, gender roles within the church, uh, within actually the not just the church but the kingdom, um, and. That's about it. That's a good transition, I think. Yeah, that was one of your best. <laughs> That's why people tune in to hear exactly. that kind of radio. Exactly. So yes, last week, we mm-hmm. were talking about the offices of the church, and we got into the office of el- elders. Yes. Yep. And we read some of the qualifications, and we were explaining why um, men alone are called to be an elder. If you want a little bit of insight on that, listen to last week's episode. We'll get into some of it here as well. Mm -hmm. But we were reading 1 Timothy 2, and we were reading the passage, a woman, starting in verse 11, woman is to learn quietly with full submission. I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. And so we started to dabble in an <laughs> explanation with that. And I don't think we said, I mean, I can't remember. And what My was memory that passage, Rob? First Timothy 2, starting in verse 11. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we said anything that we disagree with. It's just we didn't have time to elaborate further. Correct. Yes. So what we did say was that Paul um, is um, writing to Timothy. and he tells him here that um, a woman is not to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And then in chapter 3, he starts to get into some of the qualifications for an overseer or an elder. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at the context. We're seeing, okay, an elder has to have the ability or an overseer has to have the ability to teach. Mm-hmm. And then he said just before that passage that a woman is to, um, he doesn't allow a woman to teach or to have authority. So he said, okay, mm-hmm. therefore... Put those together, logically speaking, a woman cannot hold the office of elder mm-hmm. if you were to um, be biblically consistent. So, we wanted to talk a little bit. <laughs> we want to expound upon a little bit? expound upon um, just a little frivolous topic that nobody seems to have any disagreement on. <laughs> and so, here we are. <laughs> and I would say, like, Robert and I have strong convictions on this, but we, um, I think, hold those humbly. Um and we just look to script like genuinely. I don't have um, a, a page. I'm not a like a patriarchy. I'm trying to rebuild, or I'm trying to like, you know, restore. Um, yeah, just this idea of like women are always home in the kitchen, and men are always like just ruling the everything. Yeah. But we just we see this in scripture. Yeah, is what we would say. And so we're trying to humbly but faithfully um, address what scripture has to say about the role of men and women in the church. Yeah. Jonathan Lehman, who we've referenced several times on this podcast, but he he has a good article on um, how to approach this passage. Um, and he writes from a very humble perspective, very appreciative. Mm-hmm. Um, there are guys that, I, that I'll even agree with who, when I read them, yeah. I'm like, you know, I agree with what you're saying, but I, I'm not thrilled with the way that you're saying it. And we're not trying to be the tone police or anything right, like right. that. Like, truth is truth. Like, I'm not trying to be... No, but that that indicates love. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. one of the Respect. one of the um, fruits of the Spirit, well, let's go two of them, gentleness mm-hmm. and kindness. Yeah. So, as we communicate truth, we're supposed to communicate it with love, communicate truth with gentleness. Mm-hmm. And so, sometimes you can, you can have a truthful thing that you're saying and just not be real appreciative of the way they're saying it. But Jonathan Lehman, I say that... To say Jonathan Lehman, in his article here, he, he does a great job of, of holding those two things together. And he makes the argument that 
um, when Paul is saying that a woman is to learn quietly with full submission, and then he says, I do not allow a woman to teach Mm -hmm. or to have authority over a man. Before we even get too far down into the argument, we want to recognize that there is a form of teaching that mm-hmm. does carry authority. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say that a woman yeah. can't teach. Women have the ability yeah. to teach. I've learned things from Danielle. I've learned things from my mother. I've learned things from mm-hmm. uh, things from other women. Mm-hmm. Teachers who are women, they clearly right. have the ability to teach. So when we are talking about this, we want to recognize that we're not trying to make an oversimplification. Yes. But we also do want to say that there is a form of teaching mm-hmm. that carries authority. Yes. And to summarize Lehman's article, um, and it's definitely not doing justice to the article, we can link to it, and you should check it out. But he's saying that when the church is gathered mm-hmm. together on the Lord's Day, yeah. and the word is opened up, there is an authoritative teaching mm-hmm. that is going on. Yeah, And so he said that at the very least, to be in this complementarian camp when it comes to the offices, we have to say that on the Lord's Day gathered, mm-hmm. that... A woman would not have authority to teach, to preach from the word. And you could even lump in, and he, he does a good job of addressing this. He says, now some churches are going to say that includes Sunday school, or that includes mm. community groups throughout the week, or that, yeah. and, and he brings in other arguments like Tim Keller, who would say that um, so long as the elders have given the approval to mm-hmm. the woman, then she's mm-hmm. still under the authority. Um, and he addresses each of those. He mm-hmm. he disagrees with that, which which is the camp that that I would sit in. Um, I don't want to speak too quickly for you, but I think you would be in that camp too. But all that to say, um, there is a type of teaching that is authoritative. So when Paul is saying this, he's not saying that women just don't have the ability to teach or shouldn't teach. Period. Mm-hmm. It's a type of teaching, the type of teaching that carries authority, which is the kind that is when the church is gathered on the Lord's day together. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a difficult thing, and and to clarify, when we talk about with authority, like what's what's the difference from the person who opens the word, you know, when we're in the, the side room on a Sunday at nine, compared to when they open the, the word and teach um, at ten from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like what yeah. what 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 shifts there? And so I think to clarify a little bit, when we say with authority, there is then responsibility. On the congregant, the hearer, the, the, the church member, they're being taught from Scripture by, we would say, an elder, mm-hmm. um, and so now there's there is responsibility and, and more weight t- for them to obey and to respond than there might be for someone who's listening to a Sunday school. Hopefully, the Sunday school is expounding. You're you're growing in your knowledge, but there isn't the responsibility one that you'll be judged on in the last day. And then two, just as you'll be kind of observed and encouraged by the local church. Yeah. And and something I want to point out, you said that by an elder, I, I would also want to just add by someone who would at least be qualified to be an elder. Mm, so the yes. person may not be an elder and they could still yeah. preach as long as they're qualified. Splitting hairs there, mm. but wanted to say it. Um, say it. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah. I did. All right. <laughs> okay, so Rick, what are some passages that people who would claim to be to be Christians as well? We're not saying that if you disagree. <laughs> Those people yeah. who say we're Christians, no. but we're not. <laughs> so, like, I, I already know. <laughs> Here we go. Lord, help us this be humble. Why, this is why this, I'm pushing off this episode. <laughs> Those, so would you, so we, you, would you say people it. are not Christians if they're no, egalitarian? I would not say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so Gal- Galatians. So hold, hold, just, hold on. 
So, you, you've done enough, Rob. <laughs> we, we did an episode on complementarianism, and I've been wanting to do another episode because <laughs> I've been wanting to adjust some of the things that I said there because, Clar- because I've just become more convinced of some other things and yeah, da 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 da. Um, but I've been hesitant because I'm like, oh my goodness, like the things that I want to say, I know I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and we live in such a sensitive culture right yes. now on this topic that as soon as I slip up and say one thing wrong, <laughs> it's going to be like, hey, you said this. What do yeah. you think? Like, anyways, yeah. go ahead. What are the passages? <laughs> I don't know what, are you still wanting to clarify? Yeah. Okay. So okay. the passages, cause I know that culture, non-Christians as well would, mm-hmm. would disagree Mm. with much of what we're going to say here yeah but then there are also those who are within the household of faith mm-hmm. who would land on a different um in a different category different, different camp yeah. than within the complementarian well, camp even yeah so yeah. within yeah. within the household of faith there's mm-hmm. egalitarian complementarian egalitarian mm-hmm. there we, we could say there are people who know love jesus who on the day that they die they will be in the presence of the lord mm-hmm and then there are also people who are in the complementarian camp, which we're in, who would yeah. still like split on some things. Yes. So let's go Subdivide. with the egalitarian yeah. side. What are some verses that egalitarians would use to say, no, there aren't gender roles? Um, and here are the verses that we're referring to. I mean, Galatians 3 in you know, verse 28, there is now, there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. Since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed heirs according to the promise. So people will often pull out this verse and say, look, like, there's no like, um, I always, when people say this, I always think of the, 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 the statement people say, oh, I don't see color. Like, yeah. you know, God doesn't see color. God doesn't see gender. I don't we see have, race. Right. It's Jews. Greeks, slave, free, you know, all these things. Um, and in it, like in a very real sense, there's no um, qualification for salvation, yeah. right? So there isn't, oh, God's just saving the Jews or just the Greeks or just men or just women. Um, but there is a, a complete salvation in Christ. And it's verse 27, the verse before that says, for those of you who, are, who were baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. Mm. So this idea of where your identity is, your identity is no longer in your your gender, or is it in your your um, nationality, or your your either your position of free or slave. It doesn't mean those things don't matter. It doesn't mean those things aren't realities. They are realities, but that's not who you are anymore. You're you're a Christ. You're in Christ. Yeah. And so people they'll, they'll look at this and they'll say, "Hey, look, we're all. It's all f- fair game. It's all free." Um, the problem is you're taking one verse and then you have to erase a whole lot of other verses to make a verse support your position. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. And and what you were saying right there, I think, is really important about the identity issue because at the end of the day, we're either we're in one of two camps. We're either in Adam mm-hmm. or we're in Christ. Yes. Both camps, like there are legitimate. There's um, there's racial. Mm-hmm. There's uh, male, female, slave, free. There's yeah. sub identities where we yeah. say I, I'm a male, but that's not where my primary identity is. Right. I'm. I have Irish in in my heritage. Mm -hmm. You do, Robert. But I am not identifying primarily. I don't find my primary identity Mm -hmm. in having Irish roots. 
My primary identity is in, is in Christ because I've been brought from death to life. And I, I think we, so there's, there's a few ironies here. One, both those who are complementarian and egalitarian will fight tooth and nail because for them their identity is at stake. Hmm. For complementarians, for some, like it's an unhealthy version. Like I'm a male, I'm a leader, I'm a man. I, I can't hold to a scripture that elevates like my wife and I to the same position. So it's yeah. like they're fighting for their identity. And then for women, uh, for those who hold the egalitarian position, it's an identity thing. Like they have to be seen as equal. Um, and we would say they are equal, it's just the jobs, their 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 roles are not the same. But, yeah. but we got to fight. It's an identity thing. Um, and as Christians, like Christ has called us to lay down our, our identity. Yeah. And we see something happening culturally where, and this is another sensitive thing, but like a lot of Christians are having to figure out what is their primary identity. Is it their American Christians anyway? Is it, are they predominantly Americans? Are they predominantly Christians? Where does their identity land? And what's that look like? That's a hard thing for people to navigate, to, yeah. to begin to separate those things two out, those two things out, because for so long they've been kind of meshed in as one. And if we're, if we're to be consistent, um, you know, um, I, I grew up, I'm a farmer, I'm a son, um, you know, I have a college degree, so I'm a college graduate. I'm, there's so many different things. I'm an American uh, that I could add on. I'm a pastor to my you know, who I am, but all those things can be taken away. And anything that can be taken away from you is not your identity. Yeah. Your identity, your identity is in Christ. Yeah, that, that's very good. So there's, there's another passage. Um, oh, and, and just building off of that? Build off. Check out Romans 5. I mean, Romans 5, Adam, Christ, mm-hmm. like you can see these are the two, these yeah. are the two camps. Um, two and we see camps. in verse 29, connection from Abraham, the redemption. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So another passage, um, and and I literally today, um, in in prepping for this, watched again Albert Muller mm-hmm. when he was brought in as Southern Seminary's president in '93. He does this Q and A with yeah. students. Yep. It's a it's a tradition at Southern Seminary to where the new president gets to have an open forum where students get to ask him questions. Which, if it's a tradition, like how I mean. Like that's that's happened like three times, four times. Well, I mean, they've had they've had plenty of presidents, um, but I mean, probably not more than a couple dozen times. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah. So, anyways, sorry. So he's he's doing this, mm-hmm. and he's the first conservative president in several decades. Yeah. And these students who are there came there because Southern was a theologically liberal mm-hmm. institution, and the they trustees were, are trying to steer it yeah. back, and so they hire Al Mohler as the president. And these students who are theologically liberal are asking him questions all around women in the pastorate. Mm-hmm. And they're bringing these verses up and they're asking him to address them. So if you get the chance, go to YouTube, look up Al Mohler Q&A. Um, you'll find a young version of Al Mohler. Um, <laughs> if such thing exists. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's a pretty interesting watch. Anyways, another verse that gets brought up is Acts 2 at Pentecost. Um Verse 17, mm-hmm. we see this. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And so he, and he continues to, to go on there, but people say, what do, you, what do you take of this? In the last days, God is um, going to kind of do away with the, 
gender stereotypes, and we're going to see sons and daughters prophesying. Mm-hmm. And I, I would respond, and the um, majority of, in fact, I believe all complementarians would respond um, by saying that in order to say that this means that men and women will hold the pastoral office, then you would have to say that prophesy is a direct synonym with preaching and pastoring. Mm-hmm. And prophesying being a gift of the Holy Spirit, it's not that certain gifts of the Holy Spirit are reserved for men or women. And so this gift of of prophecy is given to both men and women, but that's not a gift of an office. There could be someone who is not a pastor who has this gift, um, and then just because they have the gift does not demand, does not mandate that they also have the office. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Life Journal. Life Journal is a 90-day planner and journal to help you organize your day, accomplish your goals, and grow in your faith. And the thing that I love about Life Journal is that as you guys know, I also work full-time outside of the church. So this journal is put together really well, very sturdy, and it looks really sharp. So I can walk into any business meeting with this journal and feel good about opening up and taking notes. And then in addition to that, it also is able to gear your day toward keeping the gospel at the forefront of your mind. It's got a section each day, what I'm thankful for, uh, what scripture did I read, what did I learn here, what was new, how will I use this today, and then it has a gospel connection. How did this reveal the gospel or point myself or others to Christ? So it's not only a productivity journal, it's got your top three, it's got a spot for notes, it's got a spot to track your five foundations and daily goals, but it also brings it all back the most important thing, the gospel. So we heartily endorse the gospel-focused life journal, and if you want to learn more, go over to gospelfocused.com. Again, that's gospelfocused.com. It's interesting when people start to, they want to, they want to talk about the gift of prophecy in times and they want to use they want to use that as their argument for now yeah and I, and not that that's necessarily a, a bad place to go but again if you look out through if you want to be and we want to be consistent through the scriptures mm-hmm. then taking the acts passage and the galatians 3 passage and then putting that against the timothy passage the the, the Titus three, the elder qualifications, um, the role of women. We see it's in Corinthians, and then going back to we would say to Genesis, right? That's where okay. that's kind of where our argument. Would, we see that in First Timothy two, right? After he says that, he roots it in Genesis. It's rooted in okay, what's God's design, and that's when people want to just argue about well, what's what's this scripture say? What's and you just well, hold on, what is God's design for men and for women? Can we can we understand that? Can we start there? Because because if we're if we're not gonna have that conversation, you know, we can nitpick about qualifications for elder and all those things. But it's like, well, did God design for men and women to to function just interchangeably? Mm-hmm. And we would say, I don't think so. Yeah. And one of the helpful resources we we turn to, and I don't know a whole lot about the um, Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW. Yeah. It's like Piper and. 
Wayne Grudem. Um, I I know there are plenty of other folks too. But. Yes, that worry. Something that's really helpful for us is their Danvers statement, which they released in um, seventeen thirty-five. I think that I don't know the whole seventeen thirty-five. Nineteen. You're saying nineteen eighty-seven. I I don't know if the Danvers statement formed CBMW or if CBMW. I think helped. the Danvers statement was first. That's what I thought. But you said it right Check there as head. if they released the Danvers statement. I did. Thank you for, for clarifying that. You're welcome. Listeners, I'm sorry Rick tried to lead you astray there. That's oh, not reflective goodness. of the rest of the content in this podcast. <laughs> Continue. The views held in this con- <laughs> do not represent the organization. Exactly. Um, they do. Yeah. So one of the things, again, this resource, um, Wayne Grudem and John, John Piper wrote a, just a huge book called, um, mm, what's it called? It's the Big Blue Book. It's the you got to look it up now. Yeah. So I ha- they have a summary called What's the Difference that John Piper kind of summarized that book. Yep. Um, and it just helps. It's a helpful resource with working through these things, the argument um, for and against. Uh, it's called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood is the book. And, there it is. Um, just a great resource. Anyway, back to the Danvers statement, which I guess they were apparently – according to their website, in Danvers, Massachusetts. Yep. Um, it's typically how statements work. Yes. Who knew? Anyway, Rob, you, you just kind of want to walk through some of these? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so they have, I mean, they have some their, affirmations there yes. that, that I think are helpful. We can just spend like 20 seconds on each one, but just to mm-hmm. read it. Um, and then if you feel the need to elaborate, it'd yeah. be helpful. But just, just so that... And we'll link to this in the show notes. Yeah, so... And by write, we, I mean Robert. I was going to say, I need to write down all the things we're linking to. So, I mean, some of the people are people that helped put this thing out. Um, I mean, Danny Aiken, um, Ligon Duncan, Wayne Crudum. Ligs. Yep, John Piper. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to see some more here. I'm John MacArthur. I mean, there, there's tons of them, so... R.C. Sproul, Tom Schreiner, J.I. Packer. Creflo Dollar. Stop. Joyce Meyer. Stop. <laughs> Joyce Meyer. <laughs> the irony of all ironies there. Anyways. Um, yeah, so, so, yeah. So, theological. Robust. Like, robust um, men of the faith were able to put this out. And, and we're going to read the affirmations primarily to say like hey this isn't this isn't us mm-hmm. in our own little simple theology corner coming up and saying these things it's literally us coming alongside of the historical church and this statement was in 87 mm-hmm. which is i mean in terms of history it was basically yesterday mm. but they were there's tons of verses um connecting these affirmations but also you typically don't have a statement mm-hmm. come out until a theological position is challenged right and so it wasn't until the 20th century that some of these things were being challenged these gender roles Mm -hmm. and so therefore it would only make sense that a statement coming out to say no this is what we believe right about this would come out in the 20th century so yes yeah so here are some affirmations and i'm going to read these and then i will just quote um the reference the scripture reference they're kind of tied to but it's the first one you can go every other yeah okay Both Adam and Eve were created in God's image, equal before God as persons and distinct in their manhood and womanhood. That's Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And we just see a clear distinction there. Yep. Um, So hold on. Do you want to say anything about that? Well, we talked about that earlier, just how... Created in God's image. 
Yeah, we talked about the, equal. The, the Galatians passage. There's, there's yeah. equality there in value and worth and responsibility and yep. all those things. But we say just different uh, roles given. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Okay, number two, distinctions in masculine and feminine roles are ordained by God as part of the created order and should find an echo in every human heart. And so there, there are some, and Kevin DeYoung has a, a good um, talk on this, which it's again- past 20 seconds. Yeah, right. <laughs> which, like, another thing we're gonna have to uh, to link to. Link to what's the Kevin? What's Kevin's thing? It's a it's a talk at uh, TGC. Okay, okay. Um, but essentially, what what he points out is that um, cultural context in mm-hmm. terms of what's masculine and feminine mm-hmm. is going to be vital here. Yeah. And so we see cultural context at play, mm-hmm. um, like in First Corinthians eleven, with the head coverings. Mm-hmm. But essentially, the head coverings were to show that uh, the woman is being submissive and um, she's submitting herself under the authority of her husband while the yeah. husband follows Christ. And so, here in our culture, it doesn't necessarily mean wear a head covering. Mm-hmm. It's what what is um, appropriate male and female distinctions. And mm-hmm. so, what we see today, someone was pointing this out to me, they said that what you see in with the LGBTQ revolution, mm-hmm. they said that um, oftentimes, and this isn't every time, but more often men who find themselves in embracing a homosexual lifestyle tend to be more effeminate Mm -hmm. because it's contrary to nature. Yeah, Men typically tend to be more masculine and so therefore they're going contrary to nature with their sexual desires, but they're also therefore going to adjust their personalities to be more effeminate. Mm -hmm. Women who embrace a homosexual lifestyle tend to be more masculine and mm-hmm. it's to go contrary to natural order mm-hmm. they tend to cut their hair shorter men oftentimes have more effeminate clothing things like that mm-hmm. so and he just points that out to say like cultural context is going to be very important here because we yeah. may say yeah. okay it would be strange for a man to wear a dress but then over in scotland they'd be like what about kilts right and it's like okay cultural well, context well, middle east yeah 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 exactly mm-hmm. so all that to say distinctions in masculine and feminine roles are ordained by god as part of the created order and the cultural context is going to be important with that yes yeah number three adam's headship in marriage was established by god before the fall not as a result of sin again genesis 2 uh genesis 3 first corinthians 11 so adam's headship in marriage was established before the fall pre-fall pre-sin um god had ordained this headship in marriage and we would say that as this connects to the church um i'm not sure how a couple can be um egalitarian in their church practice but complementarian in their marriage Mm. Um, because because you're talking about the role of the man, um, and it should be consistent, right? It's consistent, and we would say to be consistent is God has put the man as the, the head of the household. He needs to lead his family. If he's going to do that in the home, he has to be able to do that in the church. So he, he can't do it in the home if he can't do it in the church, if that makes sense. Yep. All right. Um, number four, the fall introduced distortions into the relationships between men and women. So this design that God had prior to the fall where mm-hmm. Adam is leading and Eve is a helper. And just and just to point out, before we even get into that, being called a helper is not a derogatory term. Yeah, there's there's like the whole like 
if you go back to the Hebrew and what the word means, and it's like there's a lot to it. Well, I mean, even just in our in our translations, Yahweh mm-hmm. is seen as a helper mm-hmm. of Israel. Holy Spirit is called a helper. Holy Spirit is called the helper. Like these are not derogatory terms. These are honorable terms. So anyways, um, fall introduced distortions into this relationship. So in the home, the husband's loving, humble headship tends to be replaced by domination or passivity. Mm. So a husband can be uh, overly dominant and be a male chauvinist, or he can be overly passive. Mm -hmm. Um, The wife's intelligent, willing submission tends to be replaced by usurpation or servility. And in the church, sin inclines men toward a worldly love of power or an abdication of spiritual responsibility and inclines women to resist limitations on their roles or to neglect the use of their gifts in appropriate ministries. So the fall takes God's good design of Mm -hmm. men sacrificially leading and women joyfully helping and distorts it. Men can be abusive in their... And their leadership, women can try to usurp men, and you can list plenty of other um, distortions of it, but the fall has introduced these distortions. Yeah, um, I'm thinking of the passage, the, the curses, um, where, where God says to Eve, like, you're going to um, desire your husband and he will... Right here in three sixteen, he said to the woman, "I will intensify your labors and pain with childbearing. Um, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you." And um, we would say in that passage is the desire not like to be with, but to be over. Yep. And so there is our the sin nature for the for the woman is to um, actually to usurp her husband's authority and to be over to lord it over or to finally like. You know, I'm the one who actually wears the pants in the family and gets yep. things done. Um, and, the, and the sin, the pull for sin for most men, I would say in our culture right now, is apathy. It's to check out and be yeah. like, well, yeah, I talk to the boss. You know, she's mm-hmm. the one. Um, not that you can't obviously have a lot of equality and discussion, all those things. But um, the the temptation is for the wife to want to dominate the husband, to be over. Yep. And the temptation for the for the husband is to either just be be domineering and harsh and, and unchristlike, or to just check out and let her just kind of rule the roost. Yeah. Um, instead of what Christ has called the church to, called the, the Christians, the church, is to this this wonderful submission that, that as we see in Ephesians 5, where the husband submits to Christ, loves Christ, the wife as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her, and the, the wife then submits and helps the husband. Yeah. Um, but uh, as you're pointing out, the curse flips those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, one of the ways you're talking about men being apathetic, um, one, one of the ways that Danielle and I, just uh, as you were talking, this mm-hmm. little example came up. We don't do, I mean, we've got plenty of things we got to work through. We don't do all this <laughs> stuff perfectly, but here's an example. These people with their perfect marriages. Yeah, uh. right. So we, like, I've, I've encouraged Danielle, like, hey, we need to make it a priority to have people over to our house. Yeah. She's naturally more introverted and so mm-hmm. I've just, I've led in that to say like, hey, this is something yeah. that we need to be committed to. Now, that doesn't mean that I say, um, okay, so this night we're going to do this, this night we're going to do this, this night we're going to do this. We, we have a shared calendar. And so mm-hmm. we, we talk about, okay, so this is a principle that we, mm-hmm. um, that I've tried to encourage us to, to live out. And so, Danielle, what nights work, work well to have somebody over this week? How many, how many times a week should we have people over? What, what are, what's good for 
us in a healthy way based off of the yeah. place that we are as a family. And so she's been able to help me say, mm-hmm. okay, let's have no more than two people over this week. Yeah. And these are the days that work. Mm-hmm. So just there's that there's that helper mentality yeah. without being over domineering on the right. husband's side mm-hmm. and without usurping authority on the wife's side. Yes. So. Yeah. All these things are done with love. Um, th- the fifth one says the Old Testament as well as the New Testament manifests the equ- equally high value in, in dignity, which God attached to the roles of both men and women. Both Old and New Testaments also affirm the principle of male headship in the family and in the covenant community. So the family and the church, we mentioned that before. So Genesis 2, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Timothy 2, we see that God has given great value to both men and women. But in both Old and New Covenants, New Testaments, we see um, the value or we see the the affirmation of the principle of male headship yep. in the family and in the church. Yep. And and so there's even a, a debate within complementarianism of what would be viewed as narrow complementarianism. So where it just is mm-hmm. limited to the home and the church or broad where it's kind of this design for all of creation. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm more inclined toward the broad. Um, however, mm. I know guys that who are super faithful, who are more inclined toward the narrow. Yeah. So anyways, <clears throat> just to, to put that on y'all's radar, if you want to look deeper there. So number six, redemption in Christ aims at removing the distortions introduced by the curse. Mm-hmm. And so in the family, husbands should forsake harsh or selfish leadership and grow in love and care for their wives. Wives should forsake resistance to their husband's authority and grow in willing, joyful submission to their husband's leadership. We see this in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Titus 2, and 1 Peter 3. And in the church, redemption in Christ gives men and women an equal share in the blessings of salvation. Nevertheless, some governing and teaching roles within the church are restricted to men. We Mm. see this in Galatians 3, 1 Corinthians 11, and 1 Timothy 2, the passages we read earlier. Yeah, so the next one, number seven, says, In all of life, Christ is the supreme authority and guide for men and women, so that no earthly submission, domestic, religious, or civil, ever implies a mandate to follow a human authority into sin. The scriptures it references Daniel 3, um, with his obedience to Christ, uh, the early church in Acts 4, in Acts 5, and in 1 Peter 3. So there should never, uh, a, a church leader or obviously any government or any husband, he has no right to um, demand his wife act in a way or do a thing that is sinful. Yeah. And we would say to anyone who who's in a situation where her husband's asking her to do something or, or demanding she do something because God told the husband, you have to do this. And I think still against God's word, we would say that's wicked and sinful yeah. and that woman should, should obey Christ. Yeah. He is the supreme authority. Um, sadly, there is a lot of spiritual manipulation and abuse in husband's and even churches who manipulate and abuse people by trying to twist scripture or you say, God, God told me you to do this, or God's word says you to do this, when it clearly does not, it's sinful. And people are free to obey Christ, always, always obey Christ. Yeah. There's consequences for that, you know, whether it's civil with the government or with other church leaders or, 
you know, there's consequences, but even with a spouse, are, yeah, I mean, a yep. husband could abuse his authority, absolutely, and say, "You need to submit because the Bible says you need to submit." Mm-hmm. Right, and like, if he's leading you into sin, then you right. do not need to submit to that. Correct, and there and there's like you 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 should hopefully you have other sisters and brothers who you can ask and get wisdom about like what what is sin what where's yeah. where's the line on those things Amen. and um the church should be quick and ready to protect those who are vulnerable and who are in need of protection from abusive people yep all right number eight in both men and women a heartfelt sense of call to ministry should never be used to set aside biblical criteria for particular ministries. Rather, biblical teaching should remain the authority for testing our subjective discernment of God's will. So if, and we saw this in the Albert Muller video, mm-hmm. um, where uh, a young lady was said that she is called into mm-hmm. the pastorate, and she asked Albert Muller if he would recommend her to a church. And he, he navigates those waters very well in a way that is yeah. better than what I would. Um, but essentially what this, what this portion of the statement is saying, that no matter how heartfelt mm-hmm. you may feel a calling, mm-hmm. it is not to take authority over God's written word. We, right. have, we have God's word right here. This is our supreme authority. And so mm-hmm. therefore, if anything that we feel right. inwardly goes contrary to this, yeah. then we need to understand that, that our hearts are wicked. And yeah. we are, can be easily manipulated and we can be easily deceived by the desires of our flesh. And so if, if we do have a really strong sense mm-hmm. and it goes contrary to Scripture, then our ultimate authority, the thing that we need to submit to is Scripture, is God's Word. Rob, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Oh, great. Thanks. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do hear this from people who, friends, people I know uh, who are egalitarian, women yep. who are ministering, and they just said... Well, it's almost it's almost to a T the same thing. Like, well, God's called me to this, so like, you yeah, know, take it up with the man upstairs. Yeah, and you're like, how would you respond to that, Rob? If if they say that, part of us is just like, okay, I'm not gonna go. Like, either you're gonna head, head, yeah. dive head first in the whole the whole debate. But if someone says that, like, well, I I genuinely believe God's called me to this. Yeah. Okay. So, or, so you, you're yeah. saying if I find myself in the conversation where I'm, I can't just kind of nod and smile and yeah, step away from they're, it, they're they're asking you your thoughts. Like, okay, Rob, I I feel God's called me to this. Yeah. And they're genuine in their desire. They're not just being like facetious, snarky. trying yeah. to yeah, trying to yeah. yeah. So I would I would ask questions mm-hmm. like help me understand how you how you interpret this passage, and sometimes what what people will tend to do is they do theological jujitsu, so Ooh. to speak, or or to use a more fun term, theological twister to try and bend and reach <laughs> and try to find a way to make this argument work. Mm-hmm. And I would just want to ask questions like, hey, how, how do you interpret First Timothy 2? How do you interpret First Timothy 3, Titus 1? Yeah. yeah. How do you understand Ephesians 5? Um mm-hmm. And I would want to have a, an actual dialogue in, in right. not just trying to say you're wrong because of this, 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 and this, Yeah. but put those texts before them mm-hmm. and try to uncover some inconsistencies in the way they view one text compared to a text maybe just a few verses previous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm with you there. All right. Cool. Um, so number nine, with half of the world's population outside the reach of indigenous evangelism, with countless other lost people in those societies that have heard the gospel, 
With the stresses and miseries of sickness, malnutrition, homelessness, illiteracy, ignorance, aging, addiction, crime, incarceration, um, and loneliness, no man or woman feels a passion for God to make His grace known in word and deed need ever live without a fulfilling ministry for the glory of Christ in the good of this fallen world. And their, their verses, 1 Corinthians uh, 12. And the, the, the gist of that long verse or, or long sentence really is there's so many things in the world to give ourselves to. Yeah. There's so many needs, so many lost people so, to, to feel like, well, if I can't do this, if I can't be called a pastor, if I can't have the office of elder, then how am I supposed to fulfill my ministry? How am I supposed to, you know, love the the church? How am I supposed to proclaim Christ? And I get the 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 argument. That's a good thing to say. Like, there's so much to do. Yeah. There's so much work to do. You don't have to hold an office. And I would say that for all Christians, if you if you cannot um, f- fulfill the great commission, the great commandment um, on your like without holding an office, that means only elders. Yeah. Only elders can fulfill the great commandment. And the great commandment, the great commission um, in Matthew 28 was not given to elders. Mm-hmm. It was given to the church. Yeah. Elders to lead and equip that, but it was given to the church. And so if you're going to be a Christian, this is what you have to do. You have to fulfill the great commission. Yeah. I mean, that's literally where I turn to. Yeah. <laughs> you were talking, I'm, I'm turning to Matthew 28 and like, just, just to point out, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here's the next verse, teaching them mm-hmm. to observe everything I've commanded you. Yeah. As a follower of Jesus, we are called to make yeah. disciples. And the way that we do that is by teaching them. Yes. That's how we started off by saying it's not that women don't have the ability to teach or aren't mm-hmm. called to teach. They are. Every yes. Christian is called to yes. teach, to teach what yeah. Jesus has commanded. However, when it comes to certain offices, when it comes mm-hmm. to the way in which God has set up um, creation, there are ways that that is done most effectively. Yes. And so when you say, when this passage or this uh, ninth affirmation says there are so many things in the world like we are called to ministry. We're called to do the work of ministry. Yeah. People will ask the question, what do you think of women in ministry? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, women women are called to ministry. Yeah. All, all Christians are called to ministry. We're called to do the work of ministry. We're called to teach and to make disciples. Yeah. And what I know what they're saying there. Like, mm-hmm. what do you think about women holding the pastoral office? Yeah. But there should that should not be synonymous. Right. In that right. women in ministry and women holding a pastoral office. That, yeah. That's not a synonymous question. They're all men and yes. women who yeah. are followers of Jesus are called to ministry yeah. and are called to teach. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful clarification. Every Christian is called to ministry, Yeah, to full-time ministry, man. You, like, it's your life. Yeah. That's what, this is what it's Jesus did. more important did. than this your is job. what the disciples did. To be a follower of Jesus is to be in ministry. Yeah. Okay. Tenth and final affirmation. I believe it's the final one. Yep. Okay. Didn't know if that was the bottom of the page or if it continued We're on. We're here. <laughs> we are convinced that a denial or neglect of these principles will lead to increasingly destructive consequences in our families, our churches, and the culture at large. So just a final statement that we believe that these, this isn't just a frivolous theological discussion mm-hmm. off to the side that, oh, it's not really that, that concerning about right. where they come down on this. We actually believe this is important. Yeah. And if we get this wrong, it could have destructive consequences in families, 
in churches and in our culture at yeah. large, and we've seen a lot of that. Well, take I was going to say, thirty-three years since they wrote this, and we've seen a lot of, of deterioration in the family. And, and I would I would say that it we need to clarify the having men just serve as pastors is not the thing that's going to right the cultural sh- ship or make America great again or yeah. bring back the conservative resurgence or any of those things. Not. I don't know if we want all those things back, you know, yeah, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. But it is the the men and women understanding their identity in Jesus Christ, love, lovingly, humbly submitting to the roles God has given them to love one another, love the family, and love the church. And out of that, you'll see the community, you'll see culture change for the better. Yeah. Um, and we've seen the opposite of that happen. And we've just seen more kind of decay in the church. We're finally reaching a place where it's like it's like rotted wood. Like it can be there for a long time before you know it's rotted. Yeah. And it's starting to, to crumble. Yeah. And it's, it's been the rotted for a, flower for a long time. Yeah. Illustration. So you have something you gotta say? No. I was gonna close. Quick just word. Someone who's in a church, they are in an egalitarian church, they're reading scripture, they're seeing not the argument we're making. We're just saying this is what we think Scripture is saying clearly, yep. loudly, again and again and again. And they're convinced of that. Um, maybe their their whole family isn't yet. Like, how do you shepherd someone who's, like, navigating that? Is it like, hey, we, we can't go another Sunday to this church. We got to find a new church right away. Uh, you know, that's a hard, that's that's the reality for people. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're asking the theological triage question. Well, not necessarily, because we would say— we would say this is an issue that does divide churches, and yeah. we would say one is biblical and one's not. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean the Lord doesn't save people in egalitarian churches. Doesn't mean the Lord doesn't work. Doesn't do those things. But yeah. we do see Scripture clearly teaching one thing. But how does someone begin to navigate leaving that church, having the conversation with their family, their community group, and not just sound like, you know, yeah, it's just a hard thing to navigate. Fundamentalist. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so and some of that, like you're, you're gonna have to, you're gonna, you can't care exactly what people are gonna think. Yeah, I mean, your your first calling is to be faithful, and so correct. Um, I mean, and this this applies for any, I mean, most any topic that you're gonna leave a church over. So the first thing to do is to to talk with your pastors, mm-hmm. just let them know what some of your concerns are, ask them for clarification. Is this where we stand? I see. Hopefully, the church has a robust statement of faith to make it make mm-hmm. it clear on that. Um, and if there's not a clear answer, then hopefully there's some additional clarification. So, like, for instance, our church, we use the New Hampshire, which I think mm-hmm. yours does as well, as our statement of faith. And just to add some clarity, we also said at the bottom um, additional affirmations, and then we put the Danvers statement. Like, we just affirmed this just so you guys know where we stand on it. it the Danvers statement is not our primary statement of faith, but we have a statement of faith, and we recognize that there may be some additional clarification needed. And so hopefully your church provides that either in their statement of faith or an additional affirmation that they're able to to share there so talk to your pastors let, let them know your concerns mm-hmm. um and talk to other brothers and sisters at that church to let them know what you're working through so that they can come alongside you yeah um if they are coming alongside you trying to um trying to convince you of, of whatever mm-hmm. argument there is yeah um ultimately don't just take their side right look yeah. at the scriptures that has to be your final authority. That has to be the final arbiter of truth. And so, um, yeah. Insofar as as you have the ability to talk with others, 
especially your pastor, um, would encourage you to do that. But then, what was it? Article 7? Um, yeah, Article 7 here in All of Life, Christ is the supreme authority and guide for men and women, mm-hmm. so that no earthly submission, domestic, religious, or civil, ever implies a mandate to follow a human authority into sin, even if mm-hmm. that authority is your pastor. Yeah. And so if you find yourself convinced of a complementarian understanding of mm-hmm. gender roles in the scriptures, yeah. and your pastor does not, mm-hmm. then that doesn't mean that you have to continue to submit there. You should submit ultimately to the text. Yeah, amen. And, and approach it humbly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, I mean... Be very gracious and, and kind and... um loving yeah so yeah absolutely so all right well rob well done way to handle the, oh, that oh my goodness with, um i'm sure you'd upset no one with any i'm of sure things. zero zero persons i mean yeah the thing is this is this is a historical position that yeah like this isn't a new position this is very um well not, the fact not that, that makes it right yeah either to yeah. clarify but we are not like but the burden of proof would be on the other side then yeah in a sense yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing i mean the fact that it took almost two thousand years mm-hmm. for the church to have to release a statement on this yeah. is is strong evidence that the church was in pretty consistent understanding yeah. that men have men and women have distinct roles, uh, but doesn't take away from mm-hmm. their value, their dignity, or right. their worth. Yeah, amen. All right. Well, hey. Thank you guys for listening, for tuning in. Um, as always, we love to hear from you, your questions, uh, comments. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can leave us a review on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate that. And we genuinely genuinely do um, enjoy and really appreciate hearing from you. So you can um, hit us up or facebook.com slash simpletheology. We are on Instagram at simpletheologypod. Um, if you just say hashtag simpletheology pod you'll find us on the socials um info at simpletheology.org is a great way to email us thoughts questions comments and if you have more comments or questions about this or if you have questions not necessarily a question for the show but just a question a theological question or uh, something you, you need maybe more nuanced let us know we'd love to to help you in any way we can um you're also encouraged if you want to to support the pod you can go to um it's called cup of coffee if you go to our website yeah there's two ways to kind of support the pod patreon or buy me a coffee patreon or a a new thing called buy me a coffee so you can buy us coffee if you like but we do appreciate you guys uh thanks for tuning in hold on a second don't don't don't, don't end it yet don't Um, end it yet someone recently supported us i want to give them (laughs) (laughs) um so brandon Brandon. He he helped us out, um, shot us a, a coffee or two. Did he? Yeah, he Dang. did. Brand, Thanks, Brandon. I can't pronounce his last name, but Brandon P. So thank you, Brandon. <laughs> like then, you can't because you're not going to or you literally phonetically can't? No, it, it's a difficult last name. <laughs> I'm not going to sure. make a fool of myself. Then <laughs> um, there's also the Let's Be Rescued pod. They reached out and they supported us as well. So thank you guys. So Wonderful. Yeah, you guys, we're very appreciative um, of your support. It does mean a lot. We don't say thank you enough, Mm. but we are extremely, extremely appreciative to our Patreon supporters and those who have supported us on Buy Me a Coffee. And there's another way on on Pinecast that several people have done. So thank you you guys. If you enjoyed the show, please share it. With that, peace out. Peace. Peace.